good to be in the house of God starting the new year off right. New Year's Day 2023. Man, it is uh, amazing to be, just everything has gone by so fast. Just a few years ago, it was 2020, we were getting through one of the most challenging years that I think many of us had ever faced in our lifetime, and now that's like three years behind us. And uh, man, I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about what God is going to do. And for me, every year, I don't really do New Year's resolutions per se, but every year is a, it's a fresh start. It's time to look at your life and the way you've been doing things and evaluate. And if you've been coming to our church, that may seem normal to you because we do that every year. But, you know, a lot of people will go year after year after year after year in the same rut and never stop to evaluate their life, never stop to evaluate their choices, never stop to evaluate, do I need to change? Do I need to tweak something? Is God wanting to do something different in my life and in my family? They'll just go year after year, year after almost like a zombie, just like on cruise control, you know, doing the same old thing, going to the same old job, watching the same old TV show, doing the same old thing over and over. And sometimes we got to sort of like shake ourselves out of that. We got to like slap ourselves out of that. And that's to me what fasting has always been for me in, in, in my life personally because uh, Jennifer and I, we, we fasted every year for as long as I can remember. I know at least 20 years. So long before we started this church, um, it's, it's been a part of our Christian walk, part of our Christian life. And, I, and to be honest with you, the church that I grew up in didn't really do a lot of fasting. I don't ever remember, uh, especially church-wide, doing a lot of fasting. It wasn't really something that we were necessarily taught. But as I begin to read through the scriptures and see the value of it and the importance of it, uh, you know, I, it was something we started implementing. And, and really when I began to see the fruit of it and what it did for me personally in my life and then... When we were youth pastors, we started asking our youth leaders to fast with us. Um, and then when we got in any kind of leadership position, we would ask those with us to fast at the beginning of the year. And then we started doing it as a church. And we've done it, you know, since day one. And I think if you've never done it, I think you're going you're gonna to be pleasantly surprised at the results and how much it can change you as a person, how much it can draw you close to the Lord. You know, I've got... So many thoughts on fasting, so we may, it may feel a little bit scattered this morning because I've got so much I want to kind of pack in because we start tomorrow, so I feel like I've got to get it all, all in you in one morning. But, you know, fasting, a lot of people fast, if you read about fasting in the scripture, a lot of people fast because they need something from God. And it's almost like in scripture, if if a person is fasting, it's almost like because there's a, there's a catastrophe or there's a tragedy or there, there's something really bad that's happened and we're going to really just fast to get God's attention. Well, that's not really how I've ever fasted. Um, that certainly is a proper and biblical use for it. But that's never real. I, like, I call that kind of like emergency fasting. Like you're in an emergency and things have gone bad, and now we're fasting and praying until, you know, until God moves. And you can certainly do that, and that is a biblical way to fast. But 
also like pre-emergency fasting, which is like before there's a catastrophe and before there's a problem to kind of do some prep work as well on the front end. And that's very effective as well. What is fasting? I know some of you have been here a long time and you've, you've well acquainted with this, but we have some new people too. So what is fasting? Well, for me, it's just a dedicated season to focus on my relationship with God. That's really all it is. Now, the word fast in the Hebrew literally means to cover, like to cover your mouth. So to abstain, to restrict. And so this is why fasting kind of can have negative connotations in the, in the culture, you know, because we're not a culture that likes to restrict anything. And we're not a culture that likes to abstain from anything. It's just like the, the, the mantra of the day is whatever makes you happy, do it. Doesn't matter, you know, and you can have doctors, science, and that's not good for you. It doesn't matter. If it makes you happy, you do you. You know, that's kind of the mantra of the day. That's not biblical, though. The, the biblical mindset is that actually it's an understanding that we all have the sin nature, and the sin nature has to be restricted. And the sin nature, the flesh, is like a wildfire. And you ever read that book when you were a kid, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Y'all remember that? If you give a mouse a cookie, and I don't remember the whole thing, but, you know, we've all read it a hundred times probably to our kids. Well, that's how the flesh is. If you give the flesh an inch, then it wants more and more and more. And the more you yield to the flesh, the more out of control the flesh gets. And the more the flesh gets, the more the flesh wants. It's never satisfied. It's a black hole. You, you could get all the money. You could win the lottery and think, oh, my, that would, and the next day, you, it's never enough. I, I've listened to interviews and, and read articles by people where they interviewed the, the wealthiest people in the world. And they asked them, one guy they asked, they said, man, you, your company's worth 700 and something uh, billion dollars. You know, is it ever enough? He said, well, it's not a trillion yet. So it's like, it just never, and that's how the flesh is. And the, there's, the sin nature is what drives the flesh. Everybody has it. You're never going to get rid of it. It don't matter how saved you are until you die. You will still have a part of the sin nature and a part of the flesh. And that part of you has to be restricted. And it, it has to be subdued. That's how the Bible talks about it. So, when the, so the culture has it so completely backwards when they say, oh, whatever makes you feel good, do it. Well, first of all, who are we talking about when we say whatever makes you feel good. Because the, the scriptural understanding is that we are multiple parts. So I have a spirit part of me as a saved person. My spirit is born again and like God and wants to obey the word, wants to go to church, wants to pray, wants to read the Bible, wants to love others. But I've got a flesh nature and a sin nature part of me that wants to be selfish, wants to sleep in, wants to sin, wants to be lazy, wants to procrastinate. Yeah, that's the part of every... Paul had it. Believe it or not, Jesus had it, okay? Jesus dealt with it because when he was in the garden, that's what he was submitting to the Father. He was literally submitting his will to the Father. So this is a basic understanding of Scripture. We can't just rehash the whole thing. But this is why it's so important to fast. So for me, fasting is a dedicated season to focus on my relationship with God. And, and I've noticed this throughout my life that any relationship in my life can benefit instantly from intentionality. It doesn't matter if it's a friendship, if it's a marriage, if it's my relationship with God, if it's a relationship with one of my children, 
any relationship in my life can benefit instantly through just being intentional. Because most of our relationships are on cruise control. And, and it's just, this is how we've done it. This is what we get in patterns. We get in ruts. And, this is, and anytime you just decide, I'm going to be intentional about this relationship, you'll immediately see it improve. You'll immediately see it improve. And that's with any relationship in your life, but especially with your relationship with God. So our relationship with God can be on cruise control, right? You can get in a rut. You go to church every Sunday, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, go home, maybe read your Bible. And and likely you're in a pattern or in a rut. And for that relationship to change and improve, that rut has to be shaken up. That pattern has to be shaken up a little bit. And you've got to apply some intentionality to that relationship. And that's what we're doing in this season of fasting is we're saying for 21 days, I'm going to be very intentional about my relationship with God. And again, I've seen believers go through years of never doing that. Now, fasting is not the only thing that does it. There are other ways to do that. But I've seen believers go years without being intentional about their relationship with God. And we're going to take 21 days and we're going to be very intentional and very focused and even very systematic about our relationship with God. We're going to put some habits in place. We're going to put some patterns in place. Things that may be a little bit hard to sustain for 365 days out of the year, but can you do it for 21 days? That's kind of my goal with fasting. You know, there's uh, the, the whole reason that we have to fast is because None of us are just these cyborg Christians, you know, that can, that can live up here at 100 miles an hour, you know, pedal to the metal, all in for Jesus 24-7. You know, what happens is the, the human part of us just can't sustain that. So you've got to be at a, you know, a more sustainable level. But for 21 days, we can, we can kind of supercharge it. And we can go all in for God for 21. Something that would be hard to sustain all year, we can sustain it for 21 days and what will happen is, in those 21 days, there will be permanent changes that take place in you. There will be permanent changes that take place in you. And I've, I've seen this through the years. Just about every year that we fast, there is something that changes in me. Now, it's not revolutionary. It's not, uh, you know, it's not uh, like 180 degrees. It's not just a, a, but there's something small. I just like to say it's like a tweak. Something that tweaks in me every year, just maybe one little revelation that I get that sticks with me or, or one little habit that I change that sticks with me. And a lot of the things I won't be able to sustain for the whole year, but some things, they'll stick with me for the whole, the whole year. Actually, this year was one of those years like that. There were some things that God showed me in the fast at the beginning of this year that I revisited over and over and over again throughout the year. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to talk to you about some practical things you need to do while you're fasting. And one of those things is keeping a journal. Because through the 21 days, I document all 21 days of what I read, what God is speaking to me, what I'm learning. And then I'll go back and read those things throughout the year. Because there's multiple times through the year where you sort of can lose your bearings and you're like, what, what am I doing? What is my focus this year? What? And you can go back and read what God showed you and what things you learned in the 21 days. And it'll kind of re- give you that focus that you need for that, that time. And I, I did that all this year, going back and 
rereading what the Lord had shown me at the beginning of the year. So anything that needs change in our lives will generally involve a process of addition and subtraction. Addition and subtraction. Any area that you want to change in your life, if you kind of start with that, of that, that idea of what do I need to add and what do I need to subtract, and that's where the change is going to take place. If you, for example, look at your finances, and you say, all right, this year we need to change our spending habits. Well, you're going to put in place some good habits, and you're going to take away some bad habits. Maybe you're going to cut up the credit card. And that'd be something you subtract. Maybe you're going to add a habit of saving a certain percentage. And it's a combination of adding and subtracting that's going to bring about that change with your health. Right? I'm going to stop eating this. I'm going to start exercising. So I'm adding and subtracting. Okay? In your marriage, if you're going to improve your marriage, we're going to stop doing this and we're going to start doing this. And that's where you're going to see the change come in. And so it's the same with our relationship with God. You have to take an evaluation of your life, of your habits, and you have to look at what is hindering me. All right, What is not healthy? What affects my relationship with God, my Christianity, my pursuit of God? What affects it in a negative way? Now, I could give you some ideas. Uh, and, and again, practically at the end of the sermon, we'll talk about some things that I recommend, fasting. But what type of things are competing that need to be subtracted for 21 days? Maybe, maybe you have a hobby in your life that like, consumes all of your time. And for 21 days, you're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that, and I'm going I'm to give that time to God. So I'm going to subtract that, and I'm going to add this. This is one reason food is so common when we fast. And the, if you think about in especially Jesus' time, you know, and uh, pre-modern America, food could easily consume almost all of your time. Like trying to, maybe having to track it down and kill it. <laughs> uh, process it, clean it, you know, get it ready, cook it. And then, t- I mean, it seemed like by the time you're over, you got to start lunch. And then you could just almost spend all down that. Now we have microwave burritos, you know, you can just throw in the microwave or whatever and it's pop it quick. But you could see why food would be such an important thing because you could easily spend so much time thinking about where's your next meal coming from, acquiring it, getting it, preparing it, all of that. In our modern culture, I wouldn't say that food has to be uh, the, the primary part of fasting. I do think it should be a part of it. But the idea is to subtract time that you would spend on something else and apply that time to your relationship with God. Look, food is important. I think as, a, as Americans and a culture and society we live in, food absolutely needs to be a part of your fast. But I'll tell you this, most people in this room, most people in the church world would see far greater benefits from fasting things like their phone, social media, television, okay, technology in general. Most Christians today would see far greater benefits in fasting by putting those types of things aside than just food. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you, if you fast like cheeseburgers and sweets or something like that, and that's all you do, you're not probably going to see that much of a, of a change in your relationship with God modern day if you keep all those other things that I just mentioned. But what we have to look at in our 
culture and time is, what is consuming our time? What is consuming our focus? What is feeding our minds and, and, and occupying that thought space, you know, in our brains? And for us, that's going to be a big part of it. So it's, it's cutting out those things and adding other things. Like, for example, for me, uh, I use my iPad a lot. You know, I do everything on my iPad, all my sermon prep, all my books, all my study, er- all my email, everything's on my iPad. But during the fast, I will get hard copy books. Now, if you're young and you don't know what that is, come see me after. No, but I, I, have to, I will get hard copy books instead of reading on my iPad. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading on my iPad, but just I'm trying to disconnect from that. And another, just to be honest, another big reason is because our whole family fasts. And when I'm sitting in my chair, I might be reading a book on my iPad, but I don't like what that communicates to my kids as they walk through. I'd rather them see me reading a hard copy book during the fast because they don't know what I'm doing on my iPad. I, and, it, and so it looks, maybe it looks hypocritical. So we, we try to disconnect. Um, so start looking at and start evaluating what needs to be subtracted and what can I add. So many times... If you literally just subtracted one thing and added one thing, you would see tremendous results. Now, I think you can do several, but if you, if you just changed one thing on either side of the equation, you would see tremendous results. The Bible talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. Everybody say, lay aside. aside. Let us lay aside. This is what we're doing in fasting, is we are subtracting. We are laying aside some things. So he said, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, I have in my mind always made a distinction in this scripture between what he calls a weight and a sin because he, he uses the word and. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. I think there are things in our life that can be weights that are not necessarily sin. I think your phone, your iPad, your TV, can be a, Netflix can be a weight in your life. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a sin. It certainly can be, depending on what you're watching and what you're doing with it. But it doesn't mean that it's a sin, but it can be a weight because of how much time you're spending doing it. It's preventing you from doing the other things that you should be doing. So he says, let us lay those things aside. Let us lay those things aside. You know, if you are going on a long, uh, like for example, uh, one of the things I used to do a lot a while ago was do, you know, backpacking in the wilderness. And so you, if you're going on a short trip, you may have a big pack where you carry all these, you know, luxury items because you don't mind carrying 60 pounds or whatever because you're not going that far. And so you want to bring, but then if you're going on a long trek, you start trimming those things down. I don't really need that. This ain't really that important. I can live without that because I'm not carrying that for 20 miles or whatever. And you start trimming it down. That's the process in fasting. It's looking at our life and going, for 21 days, what can I live without? For 21 days, what things can I trim out of my life so that I've got more time for God? For I've got more time for my family. I've got more time for my kids. And I do encourage 
families to fast. And it, and it doesn't really matter what age they are. I mean, they just need to be able to basically, you know, talk and understand. But I, I do think families should fast together. I don't think they should all do the same thing. I think, you know, mom and dad should lead that charge. But depending on the age of our kids, we always had them fast something. It could just be soft drinks. It could just be candy. It could be just something simple. But the older they get, this becomes more important. And I've seen this do wonders for families. Almost exclusively, at the end of the fast, almost exclusively every year, our kids voluntarily do not want to go back to some of the things and some of the patterns. Like if they've cut out video games and tech time and we started spending more time outside or, you know, playing board games or whatever, almost exclusively after 21 days, there is no itch or rush to get back to those things. And what we usually do is we implement a more sustainable, you know, plan for the rest of the year coming out of the fast. Well, we're not going to do it the way we did in the 21 days, but going forward, Monday through Friday is going to look like this. The weekends are going to look like this, you know, and we make a plan that everybody kind of sticks to. So this scripture is encouraging us to lay aside every weight. Well, in order to lay aside every weight, you first have to identify what those weights are. You've got to take time to look at and evaluate and go, what is it that is hindering me or that I would benefit from by laying this aside for a season? Uh, He finishes the verse and says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Bottom line is, every person in this room has a race or a course that God has for you to run. And if you're weighed down by all these things, you're not going to be able to run that race properly. So, as I was saying earlier, a big part of fasting, what it does is it affects our our flesh nature. And the way I see it, it, the scripture talks about this in Galatians, but there is a balance of power, so to speak, in everybody's life between spirit and flesh. Some people, if we could see into the spirit realm, you'd see some people that they were spiritual giants, right? They, they're, they're, they're like ripped and everything, you know, they're in shape because spiritually they have put in the time to do that. And their flesh is weak and skinny, and and doesn't have a lot of say, doesn't have a lot of pull, doesn't have a lot of say, influence in their life. And then if you could see, there'd be others, it's the exact opposite. Their flesh is a monster, and their spirit is a weakling. And they, you know, their spirit is over here, like half-starving, malnourished, and their flesh is just a monster because they're feeding their flesh constantly all the time. Well, you're not going to, to be honest, you're not going to completely reverse that in 21 days. But what you can do is you can tip the scale. You can, you can slide the needle. You, you can move things around. You can move the balance of power in the right direction. One of the reasons that I think this is such a good habit for any believer to have, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is talking to Timothy about what the end times are going to look like. Now, I don't know if we're in what Paul was thinking of as the the end times or not. I mean, no one knows that, but I, I can say we're further along than any other generation has ever been, just logically and mathematically that we're further along than anyone else has ever been. But the Bible is written in such a way, actually, that every generation should live ready for the end, preparing for the end times. But notice what, it, what he told Paul, what Paul told Timothy and warned him about the end times. 
He said, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, Paul wasn't living in a particularly easy time. So if he's saying there's going to be times of difficulty, in his mind, it's much more difficult than what he was walking in. So in the end times, there, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be, number one, lovers of self. It's the number one thing that he says to describe what that generation will be like. I know even in the last 20 years, even in the last 10 years, I've seen a dramatic change in this. That people are lovers of self. They think about self. They, they love themselves. They, they have an inflated view of themselves that they think the whole world ought to know about every opinion they have, every piece of cake they eat, every little thing they create. It's got to be blasted for the whole world to see. What is that? Lovers of self. You love yourself. You love your ideas. You love your quotes. You love, your th- you love everything about you, and you put it out there for the world to see. Now, that's not the only thing that makes you lovers of self. That's not the only thing that makes a person a lover of self. But even what 2020 did in a way, because we were before that, we were very communal. And then it made everybody so inward, like almost homebound, you know, isolated. Many people still haven't broke out of that. I think for a lot of people, it was hard after 2020 to like get back out in public and, and start going to events again. It's like you, everybody kind of even going to church again. I think people realize I kind of like being in my pajamas on the couch and being a hermit. You know, me and my wife called it, uh, uh, we, we were becoming hermitized. You know, we had to break out of that a little bit. And I think everybody dealt with that. Well, so even if it didn't happen intentionally, that idea of being so self-focused. And here's the other thing that is unique about the time period that we live in. The access to things that we have to serve self and entertain self. We could, I could, we could go through a litany of things that everybody in here that's over a certain age would understand. I remember when I was a kid, if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to get dressed, get in your car, drive maybe 15, 20 minutes to the video store, and you had to go in and spend another 20 minutes, depending on how many family members were there, 30 minutes, arguing over what movie we're going to get, then drive back home. That was the, now you think it, click it, 20 seconds, you're there. Instant. And by the way, you don't even have to move your finger because they'll put it on automatic repeat for you. After that movie's over, it'll just start playing the next one and the next one and the next one. It's, it's instant access and we're the first generation to have that level of access, every single thing at your fingertips. I mean, any little thing that your mind thinks of, you can go on Amazon, you can find it, you can click it, you can order it, and it'll be here in two days. Well, that was prime before they messed everything up. They won't be here in two days now. But before they messed everything up, you, they were getting to where you could have stuff in 24 hours. They were getting in some cities where it was delivered same day. You click it, it's there, it, and then they're delivered by drones and all. It's getting crazy. What is all that... You know, there's a good side to all of that, but what happens is the sin nature takes that and uses it to serve self. So the more in love you are with yourself and you got access to 24-7, we won't even get into the access that this generation has now to pornography and things like that. But all the things that are at our fingertips to serve self 24-7, you can have food delivered to your door from a click of a button. 
you could almost never leave your house. <laughs> just have everything delivered, everything. And just like self is on the throne, like a, just getting fatter and fatter, and everything's just being delivered at the mailbox. <laughs> y'all ain't laughing because y'all know it's true. That's... Not only do we have access like we've never had before, but we are very affluent and very wealthy, and we have the money to pay for it. So when Paul thinks of the end times, I don't know what he was thinking of when he said one of the qualifying characteristics is that people would be lovers of self. All I know is, I don't know if we're that generation he was thinking of, but all I know is there's never been a generation like this that has so much access and ability to serve and love self like we do. And let me just tell you, if you're not intentional about not letting that process happen in your life, you will just slip into this by default. You, you will just be swept up in the culture and, and live selfishly, are for, no more, you know, and, and living that way. That's not how we were designed to live as Christians. So fasting disrupts that. Fasting disrupts that. Fasting is an announcement to self and flesh. You are not king. You are not boss. I do not live to serve you. You're not going to get all those little things that you want for 21 days. And we're going to put in some discipline and some habits that serve God, serve others. And we kind of kind of disrupt this whole system. So it counteracts. It directly counteracts this process that Paul was describing in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And listen, there's no one exempt from this. There, there's, there's no one exempt from this. And if you're in here this morning and you think, oh, you know, I don't know about this whole fasting thing. I don't really know if I'm going to put in too much. You know, and you can do that. It's going to kind of be hiding and secret. Nobody's going to know whether you do it or don't do, don't do it. But this is what I've learned over the years. Those who need it most will do the least. And those who need it the least will do the most. It's just a pattern that I've seen. It's like the ones who are actually most sort of spiritually fit, they're the ones that end up doing the most in this area. And so many times, the ones who need it the least, they put forth the least amount of effort. And all I would say is, don't let that be you this year. If you need it, make a decision this year. I'm not going to just you know, go on cruise control through it. I think every one of us could benefit from it. And again, no one is exempt from this flesh nature, this sin nature. In 2 Timothy 4, this, this has been going on every generation. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul talks about a guy by the name of Demas. And his statement to Timothy is, he said, for Demas, in love with this present world, <clears throat> has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So even Paul had people like him that were serving alongside him. They were in the ministry with him. And they fell in love with this present world. Now, I don't know if that happened quick or if it happened slow. But there was a point where Demas, who Paul calls, by the way, a, a co-laborer in Christ, says he was in Christ. He was a co-laborer in Christ at one point, serving beside Paul. And the next thing you know, he's fallen in love with this present world. He's abandoned Paul. He's abandoned the ministry. And, and it would seem from Scripture that he'd abandoned God. This is not, no one is exempt from this process. And I know I've experienced this in my own life. And if you've been in 
the Christian faith for any amount of time. You could probably look back at people that you knew 20 years that were 20 years ago that were serving God, and all odds are not all of them are still serving God today. I mean, I can think of many people in my life, some people that I was very, very, very close with, people that I prayed with, people that we did the ministry together, not even serving God today at all. Certainly that's not everyone, but I can think of people that that happens. How does that happen? Because this process of becoming in love with the world, serving the flesh, it's a slow and a creeping process. And if you never push it back, and you never fight against it, you will wake up one day feeling exactly like Demas, exactly like the people in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul describes. And again, no one's exempt from this. I don't care how great of a prayer life you have. I don't care how much word you know. If you just shut off the engine today, it's going to start doing this. Now, it may take a while. You can glide for a while. But if you just shut off the engine... This is, this is the direction that it's going. Our default, as this is just the state of things in this world, our default is not to be lovers of God, followers of God, servants of God. Our default, sin nature, is to be sinful, wicked, selfish. That's the default, and you have to fight it. Just like an airplane, the default for an airplane, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of metal... The default for an airplane is not to fly. The default is to crash. (laughs) And if the only way that it flies is by a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of energy to keep it, but it it, it can do it. But that effort has to be sustained. So you are like an airplane in that sense. All of us are. As a believer, you're like an airplane. And the only way that you stay flying is by fighting and putting forth that effort. And that's what we do in our fast. We're intentional to say, I will not let this... David said this. I forget the, the uh, exact psalm that it was. But he, he made a statement in one of the psalms. He said, I hate... The, this is the way he said it. He said, I hate the way of those who fall away. He said, it will not cling to me. In other words, I hate the the process that I see of people falling away. But then you can tell he makes a resolution. He says, but it will not cling to me. And even in Psalm 91, that statement is made. He said, a thousand will fall at my side, 10,000 at it right hand, but it won't come near me. So that was his mentality. And we have to be intentional if that's not going to happen in our life and if we're going to stay the course and even grow in our relationship with the Lord. What does fasting accomplish? Well, we already talked about fasting counteracts the natural process of the flesh to become lover of self, servant of self, and make self God in your life. The other thing that fasting does is it realigns our priorities. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we're not going to read it this morning for sake of time. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, you have the story of Mary and Martha. And Jesus came to their house. And uh, Martha is serving. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And from Martha's mindset, she thought, we should all be working, doing it. We're busy. we got stuff to do. But Mary had, Mary had laid those things aside because she found something more important. It's not that the things Martha was doing wasn't important. 
And it's not that the things you are doing are not important. You probably have a lot of things in your life that are very important. The question is, are they more important than God? And, and, and can you take time aside to set time aside for God at the beginning of your year? And that's what Mary was doing in Luke chapter 10. So fasting realigns our priorities. There are a lot of things in your life that no doubt are important, but they shouldn't be in that number one slot. And what fasting will do is it realigns, it shakes up the whole priority list, and it puts God back at the center, and then everything begins to fall underneath that. Fasting is also a way of taking ground. Now, it can be taking back ground, that you've lost. Certainly that's a part of fasting is, you know, if you fasted at the beginning of 2022, you probably were at a certain point, And then through the year, maybe you lost some of that. Maybe your prayer life has faltered. Maybe your Bible reading has faltered. Maybe your church attendance has faltered. Maybe your diet has faltered. So fasting is a way of taking back ground. And this is that creep that we're, that creep mode that we're constantly fighting against that of, of, of uh, sin nature and bad habits and things trying to creep in, and it's like you got to push back. You know, years ago, when we purchased uh, our property out in Gardner, it had been, I think, over a year before uh, anyone had lived there. It was sort of abandoned, and there had been no one that lived there for, for a while, and the place was very, very overgrown. And so in just a short time, about a year, year and a half, there had been a lot of vines and weeds and things like that that just begin to creep in and take over the, the property. And it was a long process to, to take ground, to fight that back and, and push, cut those vines and cut these weeds out. And, and that is the nature and, uh, and default of the planet we live on. So every now and then, you've got you've to decide, I'm going to take back ground. I've let some weeds grow up in this area. I've let some, some things happen, but I'm going to take back ground in this area. I've relaxed over here, and I'm seeing the results, and now I'm going to take back ground. So that's one thing fasting does is it, it's a way of taking back ground, but fasting can also be a way of taking new ground, ground that you've never covered before. Because there may be some of you in here that, that are saying, hey, I'm actually doing pretty good. You know, I've, I've my disciplines, my habits, everything is right. Great. But guess what? You got new ground to take. You got new places to go. New things. Unless you're, unless you're on your way out. Unless you're half dead. I mean, because until the time you leave, that's our, that's our place. That's our role in the kingdom of God. Is to always be advancing. Always moving forward. Not looking behind, but looking ahead. Moving forward. So my question at the beginning of the year always for the Lord is, hey, what new ground do I need to take this year? What new things do you have for me? What, what things have we accomplished in years past, but now we've got some new things, some new mountains to climb. And, and fasting is a way of helping jumpstart that process in your life as well. Now, one thing you need to know about fasting is that by default, it will not be pleasant. Now, there will be pleasant sides of it, but imposing restrictions, discipline, it's never pleasant. Hebrews 12, 9 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, the flesh chooses the opposite path of this. 
Fasting says pain now, reward later. The flesh always chooses reward now, pain later. It's, the, it's an opposite process. The, the flesh always is just give it to me now, give it to me now. We'll worry about the consequences later or don't even think about the consequences. So many times we do things in our life that we know aren't good for us, but the consequence is far off. So look, that's the flesh. That's the way of the flesh. But the way of the spirit is to go, no, I'm going to endure a little bit of pain now so that I can have the reward and the benefits of it later. I like to say it this way. Uh, it's not a question of if you're going to experience pain. You are going to experience pain. But you're either going to experience it by choice. In other words, by putting disciplines and habits in place now that are painful. Or you're going to experience, you're going to experience it later, not by choice. In other words, those consequences will come home. The, the, the consequences of your choices will come home and cause pain later. And you're going to be forced to walk through it. And the thing about that type of pain is, is that it's always worse. It's always harder. And so many people that find themselves in that pain, they, most of them look back to when they could have made changes. And they go, oh, if I only knew what I knew now, I would have done this different. I would have done this. I would have done that. Yeah, but you can't go back and do it. So we have to have the wisdom on the front end to go, I need to make changes now. Let me give you some practical tips on fasting, and then we're going to be done this morning. So a few practical things as you think about your fast. Number one, fasting is not about purposeless suffering. Okay, it's not about self-will, willpower. Let me just see how much I can do. You know, I'm going to eat no food for 21 days. It, and then there's just no purpose to it. It's just, it's just seeing how, how good you can do or, or, or how much you can do. Okay, it's not about purposeless suffering. Fasting is about purposeful suffering. In other words, self-imposed suffering that has a purpose. And I've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't work for me through the years. Uh, there are things I've fasted, things I've done that I'll never do again because they, they didn't produce any fruit. And actually, it hindered my fast. You can, you can do some things that will actually hinder your fast. Uh, like, and I'll just give you one example of mine. For several, several years, I have fasted coffee. I'm done with that. All right, I'm never doing that again. All right, I've done it. I've proven I can do it. But I don't like to do it because it actually hinders my fast. Because part of my prayer routine, and has been for 25 years, a huge part of my prayer routine is getting up, having coffee, reading my Bible, and it just it adds so much to it. When I don't have it, I'm just, I, it takes away from my prayer and my Bible reading time. So over time, over the years, I've had to look at it and go, why are you doing this? What, what is the point? Okay, What are you trying to prove? Is this actually going to accomplish your goals or is it going to hinder? So it's not about purposeless suffering. What I encourage you to do is, again, take evaluation um, and, and really pray about what the Lord would have you fast. And he'll show you those things. But, yeah, it's not about purposeless suffering or just suffering for suffering's sake. Uh, whatever you do needs to enhance your priorities, not detract from them, even, even when it comes to food. You know, make some changes in your food. Some people, and there's just there's so many ways you can do this. You can fast one meal a day completely. You can just fast lunch. 
take that time for Bible reading and prayer. And that can be your whole fast as far as food is concerned, just one meal a day. Some people may fast Monday through Friday. And then on the weekend, they, they loosen it up a little bit. There's so many ways to do it. And, and when you have kids, I encourage you to work some of those strategies with them. They probably don't need to do just, depending on how old they are, they probably don't just need to do the whole 21 days. of, But put in some restrictions, you know, with, uh, with their food. And maybe no candy for the whole time. Or we're not going to eat fast food on these days. But then there's just so many ways you can do it. You don't need to get under any kind of legalism or what is somebody else doing, comparing, judging, that what's, what's best for you and your family and, and do that. So number one, everyone, I do think biblically, if you're going to participate in a fast, I do think there needs to be a food element. So figure out what that's going to be. Uh, again, I talked about this earlier. This is one of the most important ones to me is technology, phones, TV, tablets, Video games, again, million ways you can do this. I'm not suggesting that you, for 21 days, don't touch your phone. I'm saying figure out your habits and your patterns and how will you benefit by restricting that in some way. There are years where we've gone extreme. There are years where we've been more, it just depends. So there's not a cookie cutter way to do it. But I will say this, if you have teenagers that have phones, this is a crucial part of their life, and this needs to be mitigated to some degree. It's like those vines I was talking about that's creeping in. This has to be mitigated to some degree. So th just include them in that. Social media is another one I think a lot of people could benefit from a complete social media fast. There's so many distractions, so many you know, things you see and re just getting your mind on things they don't need to be on. It, you'd be shocked at what you can do by unplugging from some of those things for 21 days and just putting your mind on those things that are right. Exercise, a lot of people will start some sort of exercise routine, uh, prayer, certainly prayer routine and Bible reading. You know, I encourage you to pick a time, set a time that I'm going to do. How You know, a lot of people find it helpful to set a time limit, like I'm going to do this 20 minutes a day at this time, this many days a week, and then stick to it for those 21 days. Bible reading, and again, uh, keep a journal. I encourage you to keep a journal of what you did, what you ate, you know, what God's showing you, what scriptures you read, what, what is speaking to your heart. Keep a journal for 21 days, that way you can go back and read it throughout the rest of the year. Um, one final tip I'll say, if you have kids and you're doing this as a family, I think you'll find <coughs> a lot better results from your kids if they are the ones that make the choice of what they're going to fast. Now, you got to watch that because some of them, they just won't do, oh, you're not going to make me? I'm not doing anything then. You know, that's fine. But talk about it. Explain why you think it's important, and then ask them, you know, I want you to each pick one thing, or, you know, what, what is it that you think you could fast? And my kids have shocked me. I mean, even this year, they, they came early saying, hey, this year I'm going to fast this. I'm, it's like they know. They know. And I know from being around the teenagers, for example, when we were at camp. You know, we were at camp. They didn't have their phones the whole time they were at camp. And you can see the change in them. 
you can see the change from day one. You would think they have, some of them, you would think they have no social skills whatsoever. And after a day or two, you're shocked. You're like, wow, they can actually carry on a conversation. They can, they can talk to strangers. They, you begin to see things in them. It's still there somewhere in the recesses. It can come out. But that time had to be set aside. So talk to your kids and see what they want to do. I think it's you know, good for kids to fast video games in some way. It doesn't have to be completely. You can, again, it could be this many days on the weekends we're going to do this or after a certain time of the day, you know, at, after seven or eight, we're gonna, you're going to do this for an hour or whatever. There's a lot of ways to do it. But the point is families getting on the same page to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to improve ourselves together as a family for this period of time. And um, I think that you'll see just tons of benefits from it. 